with my spouse? If I'm not, hear me well, church. If I'm not, there's a good chance that I'm not being fully transformed by the gospel. You see, if I'm transformed by the gospel, and my wife is transformed by the gospel, we can look at that mirror and say, hey, look, we're living peaceably. But if we're constantly going through family problems and we're listening to culture just say, well, yeah, that's the way it is. Family problems happen. No, no, no. I should be living peaceably. And that doesn't happen by her just bowing down to me and me telling her what to do. That's not peaceably. Peaceably. I'm transformed by the gospel. She's transformed by the gospel. I begin to esteem her better than me. I'll get to that later. Come to 1 Peter chapter 3 with me. I'd like for us to walk through this passage together. 1 Peter chapter 3 tells us how we can do marriage in a biblical way. God's the one who instituted marriage. And He's the one that tells us how we can do it well. Don't think, well marriage is plan B because you can't be on your own and so you're just stuck with getting married. No way. There are so many Bible verses that tell us how great marriage is. The book of Proverbs. He that findeth the wife findeth a good thing. And all of God's men said, Amen. He that findeth the wife findeth a good thing. Man, this is your chance to say, Amen. Hebrews 13, marriage is honorable. The bed is undefiled. At Matthew 19, these are Jesus' words. For this cause shall man leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. What God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Scripture is replete with verses that tell us marriage is a good thing. And so I think it would be a good idea for us to listen to him telling us how this should work. Now when I come into 1 Peter, chapter 2 and chapter 3, the Apostle Peter is giving, I'll just give you a little bit of background before we start reading in chapter 3 and verse 1. Uh, Peter is hitting about four in a row different areas of our lives where we need to be living peaceably. So I told you Romans 12, 18, live peaceably with all men. And in chapter 2 he gives us two of them, and in chapter 3 he gives us two of them. So here's the chapter 2 from verse 13 down to verse 17. Live peaceably within society. And that's respect those who are in government authority. And then in verse 18 down to verse 25, live peaceably within the workplace. This is how you're supposed to act if you're an employee. This is how you're supposed to act if you're the employer. And then you come into chapter 3, verse 1 down to verse 7. Here's how to live peaceably within your marriage. Wives act this way. Husbands act this way. And then in verses 8 and 9, he gives how to be peaceable in the church. And he says things like, be of one mind in verse 8. You realize that we are, as a church, of one mind a peaceful living. So we'll focus in for today, verses 1 to 7. And I'm going to start with, number 1, to the wives. Number 1, the wives live with a beautiful heart. A beautiful heart. Let's see it. I'm going to read verse 1 down to verse 6, and then we'll come back and break it down. Verse 1. Likewise, your wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Verse 3. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold and putting on apparel 
But let it be the hidden man of the heart, that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. So how's the wife to live within marriage? And I said, number one, in subjection. That's a terrifying word. How's the wife to live? She's to live in subjection. Our society is filled with men who would love to take this verse and use it like it's a club to hit women with. This is a terrible way to live. You should never be using the scriptures as a weapon to beat other people down. In fact, scripture is very clear. The way of Christ is to put yourself down and elevate others. And yet, so often within society, especially within our society today, sinful men who are self-absorbed like to use things like this portion of the verse to place women as a second-tier subclass of humans. The Bible never said that women are to be in subjection to men. I'll say it again. The Bible never says that women are to be in subjection to men. You might hear me say, but didn't the Bible just say the wife is to be subject? That's, but that's not what it said. It did not say women are to be subject to men. There is not a hierarchy within society that says, okay, men are up here, and then women are down here, and kids are down there. Or, as we see so often played out in society, men are up here, their sons are right there, and the wife is down here. That's not the way the Scripture works. In fact, Scripture is very clear that things changed with the gospel. Things changed in a massive way. Here's Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28. There is neither, this is within the church, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And just as much, hear me well, just as much as you would push back on anybody who would say that you are a subclass human being because of the color of your skin, the very same way you should be pushing back against anybody that says that a lady is a subclass of human beings because of her gender. Oh, be very careful, brothers and sisters. For the very same verse that elevates Jews and Gentiles to the same position in Christ is the very same verse that elevates men and ladies together. And if you want an example of this, we'll take Jesus. Here's Jesus. Death, burial, resurrection. It's the morning of the resurrection. And if you're Jesus and you want to keep men in an elevated position and push women down, who do you appear to? Oh, Peter and John, of course. But did you realize that it wasn't Peter and John that he appeared to first? He appeared to Mary. Mary Magdalene. The lady of a questionable background. He appears to her. And you do know that he is still God of God and knows all things, right? It wasn't 
go back up. No, he's in charge of all things. Amen. He knew exactly when Peter and John were coming. He went for a providential walk to be away from there while Peter, Peter and John poked their head in. And then, when they were gone, he showed back up for Mary. And, and just in case you're thinking, well, maybe it was just the timing, we'll take a note of what he said to Mary. First, he said her name. Oh. He said her name. He's paying attention to her. And then he said, hey, Mary, I know what you're weeping, and, and it's okay because I'm risen. And then he didn't say, go and tell Peter and John that I'm alive. He didn't say that. He said, tell Peter and John to meet me in Galilee. They know where. You realize that he didn't tell the lady, could you go get the men for me? No, he said, they already know what they're supposed to do. They've forgotten it temporarily. The last three days have been kind of miserable for their lives because they forgot what I said. But I had told them that I'd meet them in Galilee. And that's the words he gave to Mary. You see, God, God does this in Scripture. He elevates women. But we somehow in our sinful minds push them down. And so when I come into 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1 and I see something like wives being subjection, I want to take the moment and remind you that God is not pushing women down. He's helping us to understand how you act within the home. So let's look at it closely and you'll get a chance to see what it is he's saying. There's a clear role here is what he's saying. Verse number one, likewise you wives be in subjection to your own husbands. That's not women being subjection to men. It's wives subject to your husband. So within the home, there is a clear role of the husband is to lead and the wife is to follow. I'll speak to husbands in just a minute, but I need to go ahead and put this one in here right now. If your wife is not following you well, I wonder if you're leading well. Let you chew on that for a little bit. We'll get back to husbands in a minute. Wives are to be subject to their husband. Following. That's the idea. Submission and following. Together, you and your spouse are working in the same direction. You are two oxen in a yoke pulling together. You don't see the one big ox and the little ox. No, you're pulling together with a common goal. It just so happens that one takes the lead in the step while the other one statement about this as well. I'll use Brother Eric and it was long, for example, for just a minute. I talked to Brother Eric and got his permission earlier. I love this couple. They've been with us since the very beginning of the church. Our very first Sunday this was the first time I ever met Eric Bond. And these guys have been a huge blessing. But I want to make note of something. Sister Malone is not to be subject to any other man, including me as the pastor. Now, I know Hebrews 13, 17 says that I, as pastor, will give account for all of your souls. That's a weighty matter. However, I do not have the right to tell her what to do. She is to be subject to 
her husband. That's what the verse just said. Be subject to her husband. So how do I treat her? I don't I don't think, well, that means that if I need her to do something, like maybe, sister, could you walk the floor? I have to go get her husband. Hey, could you please tell her? That's not it. That's not it. That's not it. How do I treat her? I treat her the very same way that I treat all the men in the church. I treat every single lady in the church the same way that I treat every man in the church. And there's only one who is to be subject to me. That's my wife. You see how this works? The wife is to be subject to the husband. It's not women are subject to men. There's a difference. So the wife is to be subject to the husband. And you'll notice that in the point here I said she's to do it with a beautiful heart. Now we'll talk about the heart in just a minute. But there's a question that naturally should arise in your mind right now. The wife is to be in submission or subject to the husband. And the question that should naturally arise would be, well, what if he's not a believer? Do I still need to follow him if he's not a believer? And Peter addresses that right here in verse 1. So look at verse 1 with me again. This is 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. What if he's not a believer? Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands that, here he goes, we're talking right directly about unbelievers, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives while they can hold your chaste conversation with fear. That's a, some old English words that I'll just define real quickly. In your conversation, anytime in the New Testament when you say, see the word conversation, it has to do with your lifestyle. What is your lifestyle looking like? He says, the, unbel uh, the believing wife should continue to obey, submit, be in subjection to the unbelieving husband so that he will observe her pure lifestyle and by it, perhaps, he too will come to know Christ. And I wonder, and I won't ask for a show of hands right now, but I wonder, because as I look across the room, I know that there are several people who have been just like that. Unbelieving husband, believing wife, and the believing wife's testimony has brought the husband to love Jesus. Amen. That's exactly what he's saying here. So you, if you find yourself in this position today, you say, I'm a believing wife. My husband is an unbeliever. Do I still need to be in subjection? And, and Peter says, absolutely yes. Absolutely. Be in subjection because you have no idea what God's going to do in his heart. Now, I asked you to put a piece of paper in 1 Corinthians 7. If you take that piece of paper out of 1 Corinthians 7, put it in 1 Peter 3. And I want to look over at 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for just a minute. Because not only did Peter speak about this, Paul did as well. So look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I want you to see it in verse number 13. While you're flipping over there, young people, I just want to make mention of this. You're not married yet, young people, teenagers, youth. This is not plan B. Plan A for your life is to not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. So young person, you're looking for who should I get married to. The number one question you should be asking is, does he love Jesus more than he loves me? That needs to be your number one question. You don't say, well, I accidentally fell in love with him. No! If you accidentally fell in love with him, then you on purpose need to fall out of love. Don't 
Go down that road. I promise you, you'll never regret not doing the wrong thing. Now we come to 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 13. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. Remember the words I said at the very beginning? As much as life within you live peaceably to all men. Verse 16. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? So this goes both directions. You're a saved wife and your husband is lost. Love him. Live peaceably with him. And pray for his soul. What good would it do? You have 50 years of marital bliss and eternity of separation. Oh, pray for his soul. And it goes the opposite direction. You're a saved man and your wife is lost. Pray for her soul and dwell with her, live with her, love her, care for her, and try your best to show her that Jesus loves her too. What do you do? You live right. You find yourself in a position where you're married, and this idea would be both of you were unbelievers when you got saved, but now one of you got gotten saved. What do you do? Oh, definitely don't kick the other one in the door. Oh, Continue to work towards the day and draw them to Christ. Come back to 1 Peter chapter 3 with me. Verse number 3. We'll talk about the wife working on her beautiful heart. This is 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. It's adorning. Let it not be that outward adorning of plaited hair and of wearing of gold, putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. In other words, ladies, work on your inward beauty. Work on the beauty that's found in a quiet, meek, peaceable spirit. Any lady can fix her hair and put up a man. Now, don't get me wrong here, because in chapter 3 and verse number 3, some would say that the Bible says, don't wear makeup, don't put on jewelry, don't fix your hair. No, ladies, I am glad you fix your hair, and I'm glad you wear jewelry, I'm glad you bathe regularly, it's a blessing to mankind, okay? But my daughter Hannah is a professional with makeup. That's she has a job doing makeup. They can take a child and make a child look like an old man. They can take an old man and look, make him look like a pregnant woman. They can do all sorts of things with makeup. And the truth of the matter is, ladies, if you're trying to gain a spouse or you're trying to gain someone's heart by painting yourself up, the day will come when he will see you without the paint. And on that day, I wonder where 
his mind is going to go. <laughs> Don't shock him. But instead of building up the outside, work on the inward. And I love the way that verse 4 uses that inward heart is a gift that is incorruptible. The faster I get older, and those of you that are older understand what I mean by that. The faster that I get older, the faster I look in the mirror and I look and I go, that's not the same young guy that I've known for the last 43 years. Those of you that are way past 43, forgive me for calling 43 old. I look in the mirror and I think, 44, I forgot, I'm not one year off this time, sorry. I look in the mirror and I see I got older, but you know what doesn't get older? The incorruptible is on the inside. Amen. You see, ladies, if you've got a quiet and peaceful and loving spirit, you've got a beautiful heart, it doesn't age. Amen. I don't know if you've ever met somebody, you look at them and you go, man, that person is beautiful. But the moment they open their mouth and the vile filth that comes out of their mouth, you just think, that is disgusting. I want nothing to do. I give an example. Some years back, before Becky and I started dating, I was about 14 years old. I saw a picture of a girl, and she lived a long distance away from us. And somehow, I got her address. This is pre-email days. I got her address, and I wrote her a letter. 14-year-old boys, terrible idea. <laughs> I'm just helping her. I wrote her a letter and she wrote me back. And the next thing I knew, for probably the next eight, ten months, we wrote letters back and forth to each other and we talked back and forth. Becky knows all about this. I joked with her about it this morning. And this is before I knew Becky, before we started dating. I write letters back and forth to this young lady, but I never met her in person, never talked to her on the phone. And then the day came when we were going to meet. And my brothers were there with me, and we're sitting at a table at a fast food restaurant. I'll never forget this. The young lady, she walked in. I think she came with a younger sister. She came in, and she sat down at the table, and my heart was doing that pitter-patter, pitter-patter. I can't believe that I'm meeting this young lady. Finally, it's happening. And, and she, I said, hi, my name's Matt. And the moment she opened her mouth, I just crumbled. <laughs> she said... With the thickest southern accent in the world, her name, she, I'm so and so, and I'm so glad to see you too. And I went, oh no! <laughs> to this day, my brothers make fun of me. They say, You remember that girl that you were writing? And she, oh, you know what? <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, you can have a young lady who looks absolutely gorgeous. And she puts all the paint on. It's got the right necklace and the beautiful, attractive clothing. And her hair's just perfect. And she smells just right. And the moment her mouth opens and you hear, these things are far from God. You go, wait, I want nothing to do with that. So ladies, work on the hidden inward parts. Work on your heart. Don't take this away and say, Pastor said, don't speak with an accent. No, that's not what I said. <laughs> I said, work on your inward being. And look at the end of verse 4 and how God describes this. Look at the end of verse 4. Which is in the sight of God of great price. Far exceeds the price of rubies. Much more valuable than gold. Is a sweet 
and loving spirit. So within the home, within the marriage, ladies, how are you supposed to act being a subjection to your husband? With a beautiful heart. And the second one, I'll just pass through verses 5 and 6. They were an example from the Old Testament how holy women shared that same example for you ladies. If we are sons of Abraham, you're daughters of Sarah. Now we come into verse 7. And we see husbands. Husbands, how are you to act? I'll say husbands should be acting with loving honor. With loving honor. Let me read verse 7. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Give you two of these how that the husband should act. First off, he should dwell with her according to knowledge. The scripture says, dwell with her according to knowledge. Husband, learn what she likes. That's what it means. Dwell with her, live with her according to knowledge. She is constantly, your wife is constantly dropping hints about things she likes. Men, pay attention. We are just wired to be thick in the brain. Information does not pass through quickly, so I'm being giving you a gift this morning. Pay attention. A few weeks ago, uh, Ron was planning to come up to help us with the sound system. You guys saw Ron. I'm so thankful for that. What many people don't know is Ron's daughter is a master chef. She is well sought after as a birthday cake maker. And she makes those birthday cakes that are like works of art. She's in high demand in Brisbane. And I knew that Ron was coming on Becky's birthday. Gentlemen, dwell with her according to knowledge. And so I put in a word to my friend and I asked him, hey, is there any way, I know that Anna's busy and I would be happy to pay for whatever kind of extra fee, but I know she's going to make a cake that will be out of this world. I said, could you do me a favor and would you ask Anna, could she make a cake and then you, Ron, can you hand carry that? That's your check, your, your, your carry-on luggage. Could you hand carry the cake for Becky's birthday? He said, I'd be happy to. And then he asked me, what kind of cake? I told him, I know my wife. I know her what. I said, it doesn't matter what kind of cake, any cake in the world except for chocolate cake. She doesn't like chocolate cake. I said, with Confidence. I said, chocolate icing is fine, but chocolate cake, no, 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 stay away. He said, done, we'll take care of it. About three days passed, and it was still three days before he's coming. About three days passed, and the two of us in, are in Waterfront, and I was pushing the trolley. If you ever see us at Waterfront, that's, that's my job. I push the trolley, and she puts stuff in. Sometimes I put stuff in, she takes it out. Uh, I push the trolley, and she's putting stuff in the trolley. And, and as we're, we're going down the aisle, she comes down where the cake mixes are, and she reached over and she got a cake mix to put in the trolley. I already know there's a cake on the way, but I can't say anything about it. 
she grabs the cake mix and she says, I'm going to ask Hannah to make a birthday cake for me. I thought it was nice. And I looked at her. What kind of she gave Chocolate cake. I said, you don't like chocolate cake. She said, I do. It's my favorite. I like it. Would you believe the next aisle, I'm texting Ron, please make a chocolate cake. Well, with her, according to knowledge, find out what it is that your wife likes and pay attention. Brothers, does she get upset about stuff? If she gets upset about something, this is just straight practical. If she gets upset about something, that means it's important to her. Is she, does she get upset about you coming home late from work? That's not because she hates your workplace. It's because she wants to know about your heart. Do you actually care about her calendar as well? Maybe she's got something planned. Maybe she's thinking about something else. Maybe she wants your heart in that. Does it bother her when you're on your mobile phone all the time? You, you come home and you're, I just need, just need it. Brothers, this is me too, okay? I've got a thick skull too, all right? Uh, just, just a few more things. I just got to take care of this one more thing. Just hold on just a second. Does she get upset about that? Does she get upset? She's sending you a message. That message is, I want your time. I want your attention. Dwell with her according to knowledge. Pay attention to this stuff. Love her. Ephesians 5, verse 25, also clear. The husband's love the wife. Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Husbands, give yourself to your wife. Love your wife. Care for her. And it doesn't matter whether you've been married for six months like Braxton and Brianna. Or it's been 50 years or however many years. Paul and Naomi. 40. 40 years. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. Dwell with her according to knowledge. But then look again at verse number 7. Give honor to her. Likewise, your husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Here's the phrase. Giving honor unto the wife. Give honor to your wife. I think that the majority of my couple, couples counseling sessions fall into this phrase because the man does not think that the wife is worthy of honor. Most of my couples counseling sessions can be boiled down to he doesn't think she's worthy of honor. I hope that will sink in this I wonder if you think of your wife as deserving honor. Maybe you don't think she's worth honoring because she's a woman. She's supposed to be submissive to you. Or maybe you think she's just not as smart as you. Or maybe she didn't get as much education as you. Or maybe she doesn't have as good a job as you. Maybe she's just supposed to make babies and cook food and keep the house clean. If that's where you're at this morning, shame. You're going to give her honor. Honor is a big thing. We give honor to the Lord. Husbands, you're commanded to give honor to your wife. And you give her honor. The words there in verse number 7, 
giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. So you pick her up and you hold her and you count her as precious. You take care of her. You value her. Amen. I'll give you an example of this. My grandmother, she's been passed away for a long time. I love my grandma. My grandmother collected pottery. Specifically, she collected a type of pottery called Josiah Wedgwood pottery. It was made in the 1700s. And so she had extended family members that gave it to her. And she had in her kitchen, this was New York State, she had a big cupboard. And in the cupboard was all of this expensive Josiah Wedgwood pottery. Interesting, the word is a precious vessel. And in that cupboard, she had all of this expensive... This, just this week, I was just curious. How valuable is that stuff? I found somebody selling a set of 11 plates. 11. Plates only. It was 4,000 kina for 11 plates. I know. What many you? had to blend something to cover it. And then after she passed away in the will, she distributed it out. My mom got a bunch of it, and then my mom has distributed it out as well to her granddaughters. My daughters have got this, their portion of grandmother's collection, Josiah Wedgwood pottery. And you know what we don't let them do? When the girls were small, we didn't let them take them out and play teacups with them. You don't do that, girls. That's a precious vessel. You take care of that. You look after that. And I'll tell you one thing that I never did. Now, I'm not a great husband. I'm going to tell you that. There were times when I got angry at my wife, and I've shared that with you already. Those are in our past. But never once when I got angry, never once did I ever grab a Josiah Wedgwood piece of pottery and smash it on the ground. You know why? It's too precious. You don't do that. But can I cause us to think for just a minute? Brothers, if you wouldn't do it to a valuable piece of pottery, why in the world would you ever lay your hand on that precious vessel that God has given in your care? Hear me well, brothers. There is never a good reason to lay your hand on that. Never. Slap her, hit her, push her. Never. She hits you first. You're a big boy. Turn the other cheek. You'll be fine. There is never a good reason for a man to get his wife. Young men, I want you to hear this well. It does not matter how poorly this has been modeled in your home. There's never a good reason for that. We're to treat our wives as the weaker vessel. And we're to treat them with honor. And then look here at the end of verse 7. It says, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life. You know what that means? God gave you both this marriage. That's your heirs. You received this inheritance. What was the inheritance? It was the grace of life that came from God. This is not salvation. Alright, this is not salvation. It's a good gift that God has given to the both of you. And you are both recipients of this wonderful gift called marriage. 
And He's given it to you. You are heirs together of the grace of life. So she's not stuck in this marriage while you go run around and do whatever you want to do. No, you're both transformed by the gospel. You've been transformed, she's been transformed. And this marriage can be done well together. The grace of God that's been given into your life together. You're both heirs together. It's a good gift from our Heavenly Father. So listen to the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 as he talks about all the different things he's tried in his life. Here's Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 9. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity. That, which he has given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity. Live joyfully with your wife. That's how it's supposed to be, brothers and sisters. He made marriage. He tells us how to do marriage. So live joyfully. Paul's words, live peaceably. They go hand in hand. And there's a caution here at the end of verse 7. And I want you to hear the caution well. Let me read verse 7 again. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Now, here's the caution. That your prayers... Be not hindered. Yeah. You hear what he said? Husband, if you don't dwell with your wife according to knowledge, if you don't treat her with honor, if you don't take care of her like she is the weaker vessel, he won't listen to you pray. I don't ever hear that preached. That your prayers be not hindered. Another way to say that would be this. Husbands, your relationship with God is directly tied to your relationship with your wife. Your relationship with God is directly tied to your relationship with your wife. If you want to have a good relationship with God, husband, you have to have a good relationship with your wife. That doesn't happen by her just bowing down and doing everything that you told her to do. No, you're not dwelling, dwelling with her according to knowledge. You're telling her to learn your knowledge. No, we're commanded. Dwell with her according to knowledge. And honor her. Take care of her. Treat her as she is the weaker vessel. Lift her up. Hold her close. Care for her. That your prayers be not in. I'd like to close by coming back over to the book of Romans chapter 12. I started off with the verse from Romans 12. So would you just come back to Romans 12 with me? I want to close with a, a quick walk through a couple of these verses in Romans 12. I said earlier that Romans chapter 12 is a mirror to let us know, are you transformed by the gospel? I would say... Be careful of coming to Romans 12 and saying, this is the way I'm supposed to live. Because it's possible, as we've said before, it's possible to pull old bad fruit off a tree and just sticky tape good fruit on it. So don't come to Romans 12 and say, okay, I need to live this way. No, 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 no. This is a mirror. It's a mirror that tells you, okay, you've been transformed or you've not been transformed. And if you look at the mirror and you see that there are problems, don't try to change the mirror. 
Don't try to stick it, say, good fruit. Step back to the gospel. And go, wait a second, what am I not believing about God and His Word? And what am I not allowing God to do in my life? And that I end up into a position here where I've got bad fruit. So what I want you to do as we look down through Romans chapter 12, I'm going to point out six or seven of these as we close up. I want you to look at them. Look at them in a mirror and see, is this happening in my marriage? I'll give a couple of examples. First three. I say, to the grace given to me that every one of you, to everyone that's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. In your marriage, how is your relationship with your spouse? Are you thinking of yourself more highly than your spouse? Can you see how that would lead to turmoil? Come down to verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation, favor. Your love for your spouse is it genuine? It doesn't say stop loving. It says stop faking. Let your love be without dissimilarity. Don't fake your love. Make your love real. You married that person 25 years ago, and they're not the same person that you that they used to be. Well, guess what? Neither are you. Find a new way to love. Verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one toward another with brotherly love. Look for ways to build up your spouse. Kindly affection. Then he says at the end of verse 10, in honor, preferring one another. How many of our spouse arguments would be solved if you would just in honor prefer your spouse? But most of the time the arguments happen because I want my way. But she wants her way. But I want my way. What if we had the argument the opposite direction? No, I really want what you want. No, I really want what you want. No, I really want what you want. Could you imagine the home? Transformed. Verse 11. Not slothful in business. Dad, you get home. It's not time to keep your feet up. Not slothful. Don't be lazy. You come home. Contribute to the house. Verse 12. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Oh, together with your spouse, rejoice. Set your sights on things together and rejoice together as you're headed in that direction. And when you come to problems, don't see the problems as some kind of punishment that's come down from God. But instead see it as God brought this providentially into our lives for our sanctification so that we would be made more like the image of Christ. And so together, we're going to be patient in this tribulation. I'm going to trust Him. How about verse 13? What if couples, instead of turning inward and fighting against each other, instead, verse 13, distribute to the necessity of the saints and give it to hospitality? Just like Aquila and Priscilla. Looking for ways to serve others. How about verse 15? Rejoice with them that do rejoice. And weep with them that weep. Husband, when your wife is crying, what do you do? Guys, I'll be honest. There's sometimes when she's crying and you can't figure out why and neither can she. It's okay. What did he just say to me? Weep with those of you. 
So sit down and take the time to dwell on her full of knowledge. Love her through this moment. And maybe there is something that needs to be wept for week together. And in those moments of rejoicing, rejoice together. Oh, how our lives would be transformed if we had a look at a mirror. Where did that idea come from? And I'll close with this. I mentioned some weeks past that Becky and I had gone through marriage issues for the greater part of our marriage. We've been married for 24 years now. The greater part, more than 50 percent. We would fight. Most people didn't know about it. We'd be in the bedroom and we'd scream at each other. My daughters grew up listening to that. Six, seven, eight years ago, something like that, I could not know the dates. I confessed it to my pastor. My pastor in the U.S. I confessed it to him over the phone. I thought it would wreck his day. He told me, I'm so glad that you stepped out of the dark. You put down the fruit and come out of hiding. I'm so glad that he would bring us forth. He said, it didn't mess up my day at all. He just gave me hope in the gospel. Beck and I, I said last week, eight, ten hours, something like that, across the table, the phone between us, counseling was like a pastor. And one of the things he told us to do, he said, take Romans 12. Five minutes a night. Take two verses. And together, read those two verses. Read them again. And read them again. And then, me, I'm going to take two minutes and I'm going to explain. This is how I and our marriage and we're going to put these principles into our marriage. And then we swap places and for two minutes she tells me this is how I am going to put these things in. Guys, I love Romans 12. Because it's a place I can point my finger and say, our marriage is different. Five minutes a night, two verses at a time. Brothers and sisters, as much as within you, live peaceably with all men, especially in your spouse. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be drawn to together in our marriages. But I thank you that there is hope. I thank you that we're not stuck. Family problem doesn't have to stay family problem. But because we're transformed by the gospel, we can be changed and our marriages can be sweet. Lord, I thank you for this example that's given to us. Wives, beautiful heart. In subjection to the husband, being led well. And the husband's dwelling according to knowledge, treating her with honor, holding her close like the weaker vessel. A precious thing in your sight. And so Lord, I pray that we would lift each other up, esteem each other better than ourselves. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to model this well for the next generation is hanging on. Ask these things in your beautiful name. Amen.